You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Bigger Than Beer, a Yakima Chief Hops podcast dedicated to discussing the larger impact of the craft beer community. And this first season's focus is women plus in the industry. The goal is to shine a light on the inspiring and impactful women in various fields of the hop and beer industry. My name is Tony Lynn Adams, and I am honored to serve as host of the Bigger Than Beer podcast. Today, I am excited to have the opportunity to speak with someone who has been groundbreaking in the hop industry. Welcome, Reggie Brulat, to Bigger Than Beer. Thank you for coming today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So just to kick things off, uh, tell us about your farm. Um, maybe talk about the location, history, and kind of just everything listeners would want to know about your hop farm. Well, Prolot Farms is down in the Toppenish area outside of the town between Toppenish and Hera. Um, our family's actually been growing hops for six generations. Uh, Grandpa was the one, though, that moved out of the Moxie area and bought the farm down in Toppenish back in 1944. So we've been there since. I like to joke that we are the Toppenish Prolots. Um, that's the... One of the fun things about the hop industry around here, it seems like we're all related at some point. So <laughs> yeah. you probably have come across that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tight-knit community, too. Yep. Very much. Uh, so, you know, located in Toppenish, and maybe touch on, like you were saying, like the history, um, kind of how things came to be today. Well, I said, uh, my grandfather started the farm down in Toppenish in 1944, and then my father was the next one that came in and farmed for several years. Um, Out of college, I decided I wanted to come back and farm, and my brother was going to come back, and he, you know, farmed with me for a few years, and then he moved on and is now over on the west side of the state, and I am now the sole owner of Brillat Farms. Which is awesome. Um, and, you know, from from learning about the history of the hop industry as a whole, uh, you're really one of the, the first uh, women to be a, take on that lead, lead role in managing, operating, and owning a hop farm, um, which, of course, you know, just paved the way for, for the future, which is just so awesome. And I can't wait to dive into that more with you as we move forward in the podcast. But I also do want to uh, touch on the varieties that you all grow um, at Brulot Farms, as I know listeners who are hop heads will be so interested uh, to hear which varieties um, that you're producing that come their way and, and into their brew kettles? Uh, We've had probably just about every variety in the United States at one point. (laughs) For a while, we had about 65 varieties that we were growing at one time. Uh, Everything from like Fuggle to uh, Comet, you know, we had all Eroica, Olympics, Goldings, all these, you know, old school varieties. As, you know, as we were looking as the craft industry was really growing to see, you know, what might be something that hadn't been seen before in front of the craft brewers. I mean, some of these hops hadn't been really grown in probably 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, nobody's used it before, you don't know in this new style of beer, if it's going to be something that was, you know, going to be popular. Um, So we've kind of whittled that down now. And so we have about 15 varieties, you know, we have CTZ, of course, and like um, cashmere and cascade and what else do we have? Um, now I'm trying to think. Okay, Comet, Citra, Simcoe, 
mosaic, um, you know, a lot of the, those varieties. Um, we also have our own proprietary variety of brew one. So that's super exciting for yeah. us. You know, it's been just great to watch it as people are starting to take interest with it and use it in beer and, uh, see some of the fun stuff that people are working with it. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, so can you tell us about your, your involvement with the hop breeding program um, and, and what that's been like? Well, so um, through the the Hop Research Council, I was pretty active there, and we worked with the hop breeders and had several of the trials of the public vari- um, varieties on our farm. And then we've also done some of our own private varieties, mm-hmm. like I said, which is where that Brew One has come from. Right on. What uh, other new and exciting things uh, does Brulot Farm, what are you guys working on that you're excited to see come down the pipeline? Well, we're also been growing some industrial hemp, so we're really excited to see, um, you know, where that's going to lead. And I think it's going to be big. It's, it's you know, kind of challenging right now, but you see all of the, the research about CBD and the benefits mm-hmm. and everything else, and it's a great crop. Uh, it's kind of funny. I was involved in the the Washington Agriculture and Forestry Leadership Program, uh, let's see, several years ago. <laughs> and uh, during that program, one of the things that you have to do is you're supposed to do a public policy project. Okay. And so you get broken down into smaller teams and you work on this project for two years during the course of the leadership program. Oh. And our policy, our pro, uh, public policy project was trying to get industrial hemp legalized. Oh, just a big, big task. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, at that time, like I said, farming was in a different state, especially mm-hmm. the hop industry. You know, the craft brewing industry was not, you know, a major player in things. And, mm-hmm. you know, people were, you know, this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. People were, you know, downsizing, selling the farms off. Yeah. You know, you know people were concerned about how they were, if they were going to be able to farm the next year. Right. And what else can you do? Okay, this crop isn't, you know... The demand's not there. What else can we do? And so, you know, hemp was a logical choice at that time. You know, if you look at it, it's, you know, low inputs, you know, the benefits, you know, the fiber, oil, and, Mm -hmm. you know, CBD wasn't even really on the table at that time. But um, unfortunately, there was a lot of um, controversy about medical marijuana at the time. And so none of the legislators wanted to really deal with it at that point. We're like, Mm -hmm. but it's not marijuana. Right. doesn't matter. Too close. Too close. Not right, gonna. Yeah. Not gonna deal with it. Gotcha. And so now, suddenly, you know, twenty years later, they're like, "Oh, farm bill, hemp's legal. Go for it." You know, it's kind of funny. Well, you were kind of twenty steps ahead of the game, you know, in terms of knowledge and ready to hit the ground running when it did become legalized. So that that is really exciting to kind of, you know, it is such an innovative. Um, you know, thing to kind of introduce a new product that is very new and things are still getting kind of figured out. But to be on the front line of that, of, of making it happen is really cool. That yeah. is an exciting development for your farm. Yeah, we've been uh, working real closely with um, Vertibio. They've uh, been breeding some of the the hemp lines that we've been using. So well, actually all the ones we've been using. So it's really been exciting to work with them too. Oh, right on. Um, between that and then just updating the facilities at the farm, we built new kilns about three years ago, and now we're going to be um, putting in some new picking equipment in the, you know, at, at the farm, you know, replacing, you know, one input system with the, one of the Peralt front ends. Um, so. Well, that's real. That is exciting. So how many uh, new kilns did you install? 
Oh, we built a whole new, f- uh, whole new facility of 12 kiln floors. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is such a, such a, pro- you know, progressive development kind of for the longevity of the farm too. When you really think about 12 new kilns, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Very exciting. No, I mean, it's been a lot, you know, especially I've got a, you know, with my, you know, my business partner who's been, you know, he's really focused on trying to, you know, move forward and keep mm-hmm. things going and growing. And so between the two of us, you know, collaborating on everything, you know, we're looking at, you know, what's the the next step for the farm. Right. It's and such a difference when you're talking about how 20 years ago, it was like, we don't know if we're going to be farm, you know, the time when the industry said, we don't know if we're going to be farming next year to versus now where you're looking you know, down, down into the future and saying, we're going to invest in all this stuff now, because we know that we're in a health, really healthy place of moving forward. So what, what a difference um, from 20 years ago to now. That's, that's really awesome to see. Uh, what other, uh, you mentioned some other, you know, things that you've been involved with within the industry, but what other committees or organizations have you been involved in to help advance the Pacific Northwest hop industry? Well, uh, the main one I've been involved with is the Washington Hop Commission. Okay. Um, I've been on the commission for 20 years now, I think, pretty close. Right on. Um, I guess that's kind of another one of those first. I think I was the first woman to be elected onto the Washington Hop Commission. Wow. Um, but I've got to say, you know, whenever anybody asks kind of about like being, you know, a woman in the industry, mm-hmm. I just got to give, you know... Props to Ann George. Yeah, yep. um, I always tell everybody she's the one that really broke through the glass ceiling and did a lot of the hard work. I mean, the commission hired her as the director when I was 11 years old. Wow, wow. So, and she's retiring this year yes. after 35 years. Yeah, that is, so. I mean, that is... Uh, just an absolute legend, you know, in, in terms of, of paving the way for, for those to come f- afterwards. Oh, yeah. She's uh, been my idol and mentor for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Which which brings up a good point. It's it's so important to have those you can look up to and kind of uh, role models, those that can inspire you. Um, we were fortunate enough to have uh, some members of the Washington Hop Commission on the podcast earlier in the season, um, uh, Maggie Elliott and Jessica Stevens. And they talked about, you know, uh, Anne's contributions during her time and how all the work that she's done has, you know, helped them in, in their roles now too. So that's really cool to hear about your, your connections and involvement with the Washington Hawk Commission Yeah, as I well. kept trying to tell Anne that she can't retire until I do. And, <laughs> yeah. and she finally she said, said no, nope, sorry. I, yeah, I, I put my 35 years in. Um, but yeah, I mean, without her, you know, I think it would have been a lot more difficult, but, mm-hmm. you know, she's just, you know, she goes out and she does her job and she does it well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like, well, that's what you just need to do. You Mm -hmm. just need to go out and be yourself and do what you need to do. And, you know, you'll get the things done that you need to have done. Right. And it's great to have an example of, of what, of what that looks like and kind of being like, okay, I can adopt this into my work ethic as well and, and see how that goes. Um, you you are there any other organ? Sorry, I didn't want oh. to rush past. Those. Oh yeah, are well, there any other organizations? Um, well, aside from the commission, um, I've been on a lot of the subcommittees of the commission. Um, I actually started off chairing the certified rootstock committee, which then was rolled into the National Clean Plant Network committee. So I served on that for several years. Um, I was on the 
a mechanical research committee from the commission, uh, like I said, I served on as the representative on the Hop Research Council for 12 years um, and went through all the, you know, finally ending my term as after, you know, 12 years and served two years as the president before I stepped down. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of different things and been on a lot of different boards for the, the industry. Yeah, when I when I hear about all that involvement, what really comes to mind is kind of how you've been, you've touched all of these different, you know, research projects that have benefited the industry today. And these have been many years in the work. So kind of the industry that we, as we know it today, we can, you know, think back to the contributions of the the subcommittees that you're talking about. And one that I wanted to clarify on, which I, I kind of heard about was the certified plant. Is that, that's, the, you'll have to remind the, the me. certified rootstock committee yes which is all about uh from what i understand is all about making sure we have healthy plants from the very beginning so that we yeah. can protect you know th- this hop crop that we have um because it's very precious in that way that it's not grown everywhere <laughs> yeah so actually this the the certified rootstock committee goes back you know several years yeah. and the you know the hop industry recognized that there needed to be, you know, a clean source of, of roots for the industry, you know, and because they could see the effect of virus on mm-hmm. the crop. And so that was sort of like an independent organization for several years. And then um, our virologist that we've been working with at the Prosser WSU station, um, he was actively involved with a, a national organization that was trying to, you know, garner funding from the federal level to support these programs. And so that's when it became the National Clean Plant Network. And, you know, so that's where it's at today. Wow. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks for walking me through that. I was like, no oh, I remember something about that. But I've heard some of the things here and there. And- <laughs> it's exactly. I heard some of the things here and there. Um, you've also been the recipient of a few renowned awards, like the 2014 Cascade Cup and the International Order of the Hop, which are just really prestigious awards within this hop community. And what does that recognition mean to you? It's a little humbling. I mean, especially the the International Order of the Hop. Um, I was not expecting that one at all. Uh, that is a I'm not sure quite how you should say it, but um, it's a pretty impressive group of people that have received it in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like you should be part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I, I, I think I can tell that it's very impactful and meaningful full to you to, to have, had that recognition from your peers within the hop industry who've seen and recognized your, your contributions and your involvement from from your time within this this community and then to be uh you know to to achieve this accomplishment it's just a huge um i think it's a huge accomplishment you know within your career which is very exciting um so you know i just i just want to make sure that we touch note on that these are really prestigious awards um within our community and to have someone here on the podcast who who's been a recipient is awesome and i just want to give a big shout out to that because it's well deserved and uh just you know i'm sure it just feels really really good and and to be able to look back and say i've contributed this much and it's been recognized by by others within the community as well it does feel good yeah Uh, it's still it's it's a lot easier to look at the other people and say yeah they definitely deserve it and you know the the, other people so but 
it's nice to do to get the recognition once in a while too. Yeah, yeah. You are truly, you are a pioneer in this industry as a woman grower, one of the first women growers in the region. So what has that journey been like for you? You know, it's been a very strange journey. I mean, because growing up, I was not going to be a hot farmer. You know, my brother was going to be the one to take over Mm -hmm. the farm. I have an older sister and I, we were both, you know, told that we could go study whatever we wanted to, but it wasn't really ever even brought up that, you know, we could come back and work on the farm. Um, And I think that was pretty much the common just attitude of the, that time growing up back then, that it was always the son that's going to take over from the father and, you know, the daughters could, you know, go do something else. And um, it just happened that I came back and worked on the farm one summer between uh, my sophomore and junior year. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then I went back to school and I came back the next summer and I was like, you know, maybe this isn't so bad after all. And and that's kind of when I talked with my brother and I was like, well, what if I came back, you know, when we you know could work together? And he was, I think, getting ready to graduate from high school about that time and go off to college. And so he was like, yeah, I think I'll be, you know, good. And so I, you know, decided to go finish my degree. And then, um, so after I finished up at the University of Washington, you know, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to be a farmer. Why should I go to WSU, right? Um, so then I came back, and that's when I started back on the farm. Um, you know, at that time, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of women in the industry at all. Um, so you'd go to a lot of the meetings, and it was different. I mean, there was always a, a few of the other growers, though, that would, you know, make some time to come over and, and talk to me, especially some of our neighbors, you know, like, you know, Joe Shampoo and Steve Peralt and, you know, some of the you know, you know, the other, the older generation, they'd always make sure that I wasn't just, you know, standing over there by myself and mm-hmm. come over and spend a little time talking with me, which meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's very male dominated. It, it still is today. Um, but like I said, one of the things you've just got to learn is you can't just look at it as, you know, it's, you know, being a female in the industry, I'm just a part of the industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what came to mind when you were talking about that is really breaking the mold of the common narrative that you talked about. The common narrative is that succession for family farms, and not just hop farms, just family farming in general, is that it's passed down through the sons. And to break that mold is to really, it's a different path than what has been a common tradition that's been passed down for years. And definitely forged a new way. Um, so it's just really, I think, inspiring for anyone listening to see the examples of that where, you know, this is possible. It doesn't always have to be the way it was. And our farm has found a way that works where it can continue on and found that you, you had a passion for it. You came back and kind of sounds like, you know, caught your interest. You're like, oh, this there's some interest here. I could, I could do this. And uh, and now we look back, right, years down the road and what that success has been like, um, you know, because it was breaking the mold. And so it is, you know, a different path than many family farms have gone. And I think that's awesome to a story to share. And um, and I think there's going to be more of that in the future as as we see more examples of that. It still kind of catches me off guard, though, when someone comes up and starts talking about, oh, yeah, you know, 
I've always kind of looked up to you. I mean, the first time somebody said that to me, I think I got this deer in the headlights look. And I was like, what What do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, you've been one of the first women in the industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always sort of, you know, like, you know, I saw that you could do it. And I felt that I could do it. And, you know, it's, you know, comments like that, that um, really sometimes take me by surprise, though, still. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine where you're just probably, you know, you're working so hard. But then someone kind of says something like that that kind of makes you take a step back and be like, whoa, that that was really big. And, and to have someone who's looking up to me, um, I, I'm sure is such a special feeling as well. Uh, how, how have the, ex- the experience of, um, you know, your journey as being one of the first women growers, how have those experiences shaped you as a grower? Well, I think some of it is just, like I said, making it aware that and making sure that when that I take some time when I do see some of the younger growers coming up to fulfill that role that mm-hmm. some of the uh, some of the older growers did with me, and you know, just make sure to touch base with them, take a little bit of time, you know, mm-hmm. just you know, just at least let them know that you know there's somebody out there, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and also like with you know the people that are taking over at our commission office, I'm like, you know, if you guys need anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to be the young one in the industry. Now mm. I'm like the longest serving commissioner on the board. So I guess I'm the institutional knowledge, <laughs> which kind of makes me feel old. But um, uh, I tell him like, I'm here. If you just want to talk, you mm. want to know kind of some of the history, you know, just to make sure that they know that they can come and approach me and talk and that I'm there for them. Yeah, which is so, so valuable and important as I would definitely consider myself a rookie within the industry, having a point person who's kind of opened the door of like, if you need, you know, history context, if you need kind of um, any insight, it's so helpful to have a point of confidence. It kind of instills some confidence of if I'm, if I'm left with questions, I now have a person who has kind of reached out and I know then that I I have a, a good point of contact to go to. So I'm sure that other, other people really appreciate that you know, you took those lessons, you're like, oh, you know, it was valuable when someone did it to me. And so I'm going to make sure I kind of pass that on as well. You know, it kind of brought up um, my next question of, you know, when Diane Gooding was on the podcast with me, she talked about how when she attended her first, uh, I think it was the first hop convention she went to, she entered a room and, you know, was full of men. And then she saw you and was able to find companionship. Um, what was that like for you when, you know, there were many years where you were the only woman in the room and then to see more women like Diane Gooding, Alexa Weathers, Jessica Real come through the door as the next generation of hop growers? No, it, it's funny that, uh, Diane brought that up because I remember that meeting. I think we were at one of the, we were doing one of the beer tastings for the hop research council and, and I remember her walking in and she kind of scanning around and she saw me. And she came over and sat down, and so she started talking a little bit, and then I found out who she was, and she's like, oh, yeah, my dad told me to find you. <laughs> um, and it's funny because her dad was one of the ones that, when I started, mm-hmm. was always very nice, and you know, even like I said, I wouldn't see him very often except for usually at convention. Um, mm-hmm. Her dad, Mike, always took time with me as well, so it was nice that I was able to do that with Diane and um, – it's a good feeling, though, to start seeing more people coming back into the industry. Maybe just not just women, but, you know, for a while there, 
like I said, back 20 years ago, people weren't sure that farmers were going to make the next generation at all. So it's good to see, you know, the succession and the, the next generation coming in mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, you know, men and women both. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a nice uh, segue into the next, you know, growing generation. Yeah, that is awesome to hear about kind of the next generation, all the interest from, you know, young people in, in returning to the family farm or starting up or getting involved however they can, um, which is just, you know, something I'm super passionate about of, of making sure that we're instilling that interest in the younger generation so we can continue on. Um, and I, I just like, I just loved that story when she shared that. And then I knew we were planning on having you on later. And I I wanted to kind of circle back to kind of hear your perspective of what that was like. Um, and we've, we've heard this theme on the podcast from guests of community within community and finding a network of people who you can build camaraderie with and depend, you know, kind of depend on and, um, kind of just support each other uh, by, you know, having an outlet of if you have questions, if you want to talk about something, um, and kind of be an open book for each other. And it just sounds like that was kind of an aha moment of that. Oh, yeah, to this, to this day, that, Diane yeah. and I, every time we see each other, we always stop and make sure we spend a little bit of time talking. And we sat on the, um, she was on the Hop Research Council with me for a long time. So we spent a lot of time talking about issues back and forth at the time. And you know, she's in town. I'm like, come by, stop by, you know, the farm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been out to visit her farm. And, um, yeah, she's one of the, the people that I really value in the industry still to this day. That's wonderful. Looking at the past five years, have you observed positive change with more women being involved in the community as a whole from growing to scientific development to brewing? I think in the last five years, I've seen tremendous growth uh, with women in the industry and all fronts. Um, Going back, I remember going to a a Pink Boot Society meeting to one of the first uh, CBC conferences that I went to. Um, And there's, you know, quite a few women there, but now you're seeing so many more, you know, and the meetings are huge. And, um, like I said, you've got daughters coming back into the farms now that wasn't, you know, that probably might not, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago wouldn't have come back into the farm. Um, we have one of our new our new hot breeder at the um, Prosser Research Station that we hired through the USDA. She's, you know, a woman. And, you know, there's more researchers all the time. You know, it's just, I think it's just becoming, you know, it's more acceptable. It's, it's just, it's an easy, it's easier to get into it. You know, if you have that interest, you can, you know, you're maybe not as discouraged from following it. So it's been, it's been really good to see all of that. Yeah. It, it, you know, it comes back to of if you have an interest and then you see that there are, there's representation of, of other women in the field or other young people or whatever it is, it kind of sends this message of, well, I can do it too. And this is a path that it's possible for me. And that's what we've talked about, you know, representation and, and also just making sure of like lifting up the voices of those that are involved to kind of help with the visibility to inspire other people who may have been like, I don't know, is, is this really the field for me? Um, and it just sounds like being able to see that growth and that progress, 
um, has been, you know, just good for the community at large um, from, from all the way from hop farming into the brewing community of just seeing kind of an evolution and an inspiring one. And I mean, there's definitely more work to be done for sure. And that's kind of, you know, part of this podcast is there, there's more work to be done and it needs to be addressed. Um, there's been big changes, but we still have so many hurdles ahead to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. I think that's one of the kind of the unique things about the craft industry is mm-hmm. they've always sort of like to break the mold, mm-hmm. you know, that's what they founded it's the like whole idea of their yeah. beer on. And so <laughs> I think that maybe has also made it a little bit easier, you know, for some women to get in the industry is, you know, you don't have to be a traditional brewer to make good beer. Mm-hmm. What is your approach to leadership on the farm? Uh, my approach to leadership is to make sure that I have good people in all the areas that I need. Um, and I have an amazing leadership team that work with me. Um, that's really the key. I mean, you can't, you cannot run a hot farm by yourself. So as long as you have good people, it's, you know, it makes your job a whole lot easier. Surrounding yourself with talented individuals that you can depend on, um, and, you know, delegate to so that, like you said, running a hop farm, that's a, that's a huge task. So being able to have people that, you know, ha- are very knowledgeable and you can depend on and kind of move from there. It sounds like it's been a successful recipe for, for y'all. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not trying to like, you know, have control over every area. You know, like I said, I, I do a lot of the business side of it. And like I said, my business partner, Tony, he does a lot of the, the day-to-day and make sure everything's going out there. And then, you know, I've got, um, you know, my general manager, Greg, you know, he and his brother have worked for us for a long time. And actually his, their father started working for my grandfather, you know, when he was like 13 years old. So, you know, it's, it's kind of having that, that trust in those people mm-hmm. that, you know, that, you know, they know what they're doing right. and, you know, and they're just as invested in the success of the operation as you are. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, has your your leadership style or your view of leadership, has it evolved since when you were first starting out as you've gained more experience? Has it changed or evolved? Oh, I'm sure it definitely yeah. has. Um, I've probably learned that, you know, I know when I first started out, I was very, you know, making sure I was heard and whatnot. And, you know, now that I've been in the industry a little bit longer, I'm like, okay, there might be better ways to approach a program, uh, a problem. You know, sometimes head on is, is the best approach, but sometime coming around and working with other people, you know, is a better strategy Mm -hmm. sometimes as well. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think really the key is, Knowing who to go to when you have a question <laughs> yeah. to ask. That yes. is one of the biggest things for leadership I think I learned was that you're not going to have all the answers, yeah. but know who does and go ask them. Yeah. Everyone has different you know, knowledge pools. And so being able to understand where to tap into that. So like you said, you can't know everything, but there are people who have the specialized knowledge and, and being willing to ask as well and kind of uh, open open that channel of communication. What can members of the hop community do to be a more inclusive space for women? I mean, we talked about there's always work to be done. What are some of your thoughts about what we can do as a a community? I 
I think that's a really good question. Um, I mean, obviously, things like this podcast are one of the things that I think maybe bring some attention to the issue that, you know, not everybody really thinks about it. Um, social media is one of the big areas that I've seen advancements in, though. You know, if there's lots of different, you know, women in ag groups and whatnot, you know, Facebook, Instagram, things like that, you know, farm hers and, and all this and dif- different things. Um, I think one of the main things that we can do, though, is just recognize that, you know, there are just, you know, a, a woman can be a farmer too. And, you know, she can do her job, you know, you know, it's difficult to try and solve all the problems over a podcast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. And it's, it's, it's like, I, I view it as like brainstorm. Like what can we do? Like what, you know, let's talk about it. What, what are some things that people think could be helpful Um, and I liked all your points, you know, creating, you know, what you said to me is like creating platforms where we're giving, you know, we, women, uh, an opportunity to talk about their experiences, their stories, their contributions, what they've, what they've done, and also kind of their, their hopes for the, the community, uh, social media. I mean, representation is so important and also it's another platform. Um, and then just recognizing that, you know, women, are are contributing every day they're doing their work just like everybody else you know in a in a lot of cases you know women have been farmers for a really long time mm-hmm. they just weren't recognized as it yep. because you know they were just it was the farmer's wife and oh they were just the farmer's wife but a lot of times they've been out there doing work you know the same work right along with their husbands or you know with their family and you know recognizing that you know their contributions are valuable too um, and I guess another big thing is, you know, like I said, it, it feels really strange for me to talk about being a woman in the industry, but it's coming up more and more often. And I guess sharing some of the experiences that I've had, you know, and that if other women do that as well, you know, that it kind of brings attention to, you know, the industry and what's going on. Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up of. Um, you know, for years you were right. It was a lot, most of the time it was a partnership of, of a husband and wife, um, running the farm and kind of, but as we look back on history, it was kind of who was in the spotlight that got that attention. So it's been a tradition, you know, for, for many years, it's just kind of, how do we, how do we understand the narrative a little bit better? Um, so I appreciate that point that you brought up. Definitely. Uh, what is your vision for the future of the hop industry? See, my vision for the future of the hop industry. You know, I'd like to see the hop industry continue to grow. I think that people are doing a lot of exciting things right now. Um, There's a lot of fun beers that are coming out. You know, people are putting out new varieties. Um, There's a lot of mechanization that's going on. New research is coming in. there's new equipment that's being developed, you know, there's things that have been done, you know, in generations and and it's exciting time to be part of that. And, you know, the people are excited about hops. They want to know 
where they're coming from. They want to be part of mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and it's it's a fun time to be in the hop industry and to connect with the brewers and the people that are they're that are drinking the beer and they're like, Oh yeah, I had this, you know, this beer with brew one in it and you know, and then talking about it and they're super excited and, you know, then you can share, you know, your passion with them and I'd like to see that continue and to keep growing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's just an exciting, exciting times ahead for the hop industry, the, the craft beer industry, um, and such a reciprocating connect, you know, desire to be more connected. And I think you're right. I think that's going to continue to grow, and I, I hope it does as well. So I, I, I definitely echo some of your sentiments about hopes for the future. Uh, what words of encouragement would you share with other women in agriculture or looking to become an ag? become involved in agriculture don't get discouraged yeah sometimes it's still very much a good old boys club Mm -hmm. but it's not going to change if you don't put yourself in there Mm -hmm. i gotta ask you know when you're when you're sharing those words of encouragement have there been times in your career where you've had to share those that those words of encouragement with yourself and kind of remind yourself of when it has felt like that of if I don't do it, who will? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've, I've experienced, you know, sexism of, you know, in various forms, you know, monthly, weekly, you know, throughout most of my, you know, farming career. It's, and some of it, it's, it's kind of, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's pretty blatant, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when you walk into a parts store and they don't want to like help you because, you know, you obviously don't know what you're doing because of your gender. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, happens less now than it did maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, once in a while it still, you know, crops up in, you know, things like that rear its ugly head. Um, like I said, if you don't go then and confront it and it's like, no, you do need to help me with this. You do need to, you know, do this or, you know, you know, stand up and show them that that attitude, that their thoughts are not right. And basically, you know, prove them, prove their thinking wrong Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that I think that you can do. I can imagine throughout your career that you've proven a lot of people wrong you know you you have brought your knowledge and been in situations like that where you've had to show actually my presence here is valid my knowledge here is valid and you know had people had to confront their own bias um simply by your presence simply by you sharing your thoughts your um your experiences as a grower uh your involvement in committees and organizations those are each of those things are proving people wrong who've had those invalid biases. Um, and so I, I just can't help but think of all those times that you did that, what that means for those in the future, what that means for women in agriculture today. I think it's just incredibly important to reflect on as where we're at today. It's not possible from if it weren't for women like you who've to be honest, done a lot of the grunt work that a lot of people like myself in agriculture will not have to experience because someone had to do that before me. And I just hope you know that there are people in agriculture that are very thankful and appreciative. 
there's not enough words to express that, but I hope you do know that we understand that it was not easy, I'm sure, at times. But Yeah, I mean, like I said, especially be, being a young woman in the industry, um, and, you know, I look back and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the growers were, you know, my father's age. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't really know how to deal with me. How mm-hmm. do you treat her? Mm-hmm. You know, is she a colleague? Do we treat her like a daughter? You know, I, I they didn't really know, mm-hmm. you know, how, where I sort of fit in. So they said, that's where you just, you go, and you put them, you put yourself there. And so they have to deal with you and they have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over time, people learn from each other, right? And mm-hmm. I, I I would hope that now the interactions are, are understanding of, of all that you've done. And anyways, I just, I just wanted mm-hmm. to just reiterate, you know, that is definitely your involvement broke the mold in a, an incredibly positive way. Um, and I just want to make sure we share that story with listeners and, and those in the craft beer community of, of what that look or what that work has has looked like and and who is behind it as well. Uh, Just to to kind of reflect on your time, on your career, on being involved as a hop grower, what is the most rewarding part of being a hop grower? I think the most rewarding part, like I said, is that interaction with the the end user, like the brewer and the beer drinker. And like I say, I, I jokingly say it's as close to being a rock star as I'm ever going to get. <laughs> but when somebody comes up like, oh my God, you grow hops. And oh, what kind of varieties do you have? And, you know, it's it's really exciting to see that enthusiasm. And it's a lot of fun to be part of that. Yeah. You're living people's dream, you know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, we, we just hear... People are just so enthusiastic about the hop industry from from a brewer standpoint, standpoint, from beer drinker standpoint, and it's very small. You know, it is a small industry in itself, um, and you're out here living it. And I'm sure people are just so fascinated by the fact that each year you're um, making hop harvest happen and making sure that there's hops available to be brewed for brewers across the world. Um, so that's really cool. And I'm sure they're, (laughs) yeah, it's a lot of fun to, you know, share the story. And when they start talking about it and you start telling them their, you know, all the stuff that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have no idea how complicated growing hops are when you tell them that you have to put up over 2 million strings each year and and things like that. And then they just, you know, they have no idea. So it's, it's fun to, you know, impart that knowledge too. Yeah. Telling the story of, of all that goes into it is so important. Well, uh, any key takeaways for listeners before we wrap up? I would just say that just if you're really interested in something, just don't hesitate to to dive in and, and be part of it. Awesome. I appreciate those words and a great note to end on. Uh, thank you, Reggie, for sharing your story uh, within the hop industry and how you've paved the way for women to also rise up into leadership within hop farms. Uh, you've definitely made an impact on this industry and this community, which deserves to be recognized. I also want to thank our listeners who come from all backgrounds within the hop and beer community and are spread all around the world. Let's all take the story and messages from today and seek out ways we can find to, to support women, inspire others, and make a larger impact. Together, let's create something bigger than beer. Beer.